2 Timothy chapter 3, we're actually going to be in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, starting a new series today uh, entitled Reliance Values. And we are looking at the eight values that shape and inform everything that we do here uh, at Reliance Church. Now, values are critically important to every organization. And let me just say up front, I'm not talking about those, those lame values that you come up with corporately that show up on some sort of a mission statement, some sort of a board, you post them on some wall, and everybody just sort of pays it lip service. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those values that are part of who you are, and everybody values something. And so values, they're critically important to every organization Because what we value shapes what we do, and what we do is what establishes our culture. See, some organizations, they have their stated value, and then they have their culture. And and, and the two, you know, never intersect. I'm talking about those values that shape what you do, and that what you do, it establishes your culture. Jesus, Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We see this truth reflected in every culture. This is reflected in your family's culture. This is reflected in your church culture. This is reflected in your business culture. I'll give you an example. In and out. Who does not love in and out? That's not a question. That's rhetorical. If you raise your hand, I'm going to take you out myself. How dare you? Shame on you. No. In and out, man, it, 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 they value as an organization, they value fresh food and fast service. Now, that's not just uh, lip service, it's reflected in their culture. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Their menu, it's very simple, and it's simple for a reason. It's simple so that they can produce it quickly and so that they can guarantee the freshness of those select uh, choices on their uh, menu. They also they limit the number of their franchises. Uh, and until recently, there were only franchises in California. That's not just because California is the awesome place to live uh, demographically, but it, it is, or geographically rather, um, not, not so often demographically. <clears throat> Depends where you live. Um, no, they do that to limit their freshness. They, they can only guarantee a timely delivery of quality fresh produce in a certain geographic expansion. And so they say, this is why we limit our franchises. Now, they've expanded. They're able to do it in several Western states now, but this is why they limit their franchises to guarantee their freshness. Now, the result of all of this is that because of what they value, you get fresh food and fast service. Now, with that in mind, without question, the most important organization in the entire world is the church, the church that Jesus established. We read in the Gospels, Jesus, he comes to earth to, to redeem mankind. We prayed it this morning. The Father loves the world. doesn't love the world system. He loves the people that make up the world. Loves them so much he sent Christ to die for them. So Jesus comes and he, and he initiates his work of redemption. And then we see in the book of Acts what happens as Jesus rises uh, from the dead, having paid the penalty for sin, and having spent a period of 40 days pouring into, into his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And at that point, he passed the baton. And there we see, as we read through the book of Acts, Jesus continuing his work of redemption through men and women, through the church that he established. 
And so we're reading there in the book of Acts about people that are just like you and me. People that are living out their faith in authentic community. Um, and, and, and they're discovering how their story fits into God's story. As they just live out their faith. Jesus had told them, you're going to be my witnesses. And uh, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as their story unfolds, what we begin to see there in the book of Acts is we see a unique culture begin to emerge. We, we see them meeting together in the temple courts. We see them uh, meeting together in their homes. We see them focusing on the apostles' doctrine, teaching of God's word, uh, on fellowship, spending time with one another, engaged relationally, uh, in partaking of communion, the, the thing that Jesus had instituted to remember his body and his blood and the work that he had done, and, and partaking together in, in prayer, individually and corporately. And they steadfastly continued in these things, and we see him praising God. We see him uh, taking care of one another. Uh, we see the, them developing this wonderful reputation in the community in which they live. Um, and all of this is happening, just this unique culture that's uh, emerging as they're just doing their best to live out their values and to work out their salvation. And it's been for the past 2,000 years that the Church of Christ has been seeking to live out its values. And in the process, some churches have established healthy cultures by, by embracing healthy values, and some have, well, they've had unhealthy cultures. If you were with us and we went through the book of Revelation, uh, finishing it recently, we saw in chapters 2 and 3 that there were various churches, some that Jesus commended, uh, many others that Jesus had words uh, of correction for, words of rebuke for. Why? Well, because they had developed unhealthy cultures. And listen, cultures always come down to your values. Here's the deal. Healthy church cultures never happen by accident. They never happen by accident. Because culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. And what you create and what you allow, it's always shaped by your values. Think of it like your family. In your family, there are things that you create and there are things that you allow. Okay, so if you value morally responsible and biblically responsive children, then what's going to happen is you're going to create a certain culture in your home. So the culture that you will create in your home will be a loving structure, a protective order, and biblical instruction. This is the culture that you will cultivate if you truly value morally responsible and biblically responsive children. At the same time, there will, think, there will be things that you don't allow if that is, in fact, your culture. You won't allow disrespect. You won't allow lying. You won't allow immoral or unsafe conduct. But listen, if there are other values that you value more, if you pay lip service and say, oh, I value my children, but really there's maybe the value of, of work that would creep in and, and be that thing or your, you know, your career or your pursuits of, of whatever it is that, that are what you truly value, then what will happen is you will create a different culture. You will create a business opportunity. You will create long work days. You'll create bitterness and resentment. 
And there will, think, there will be things that you allow that you, that you shouldn't allow. You'll allow a crazy schedule to dictate what you do. You'll allow lax supervision with your kids because your time is divided between what you truly value and what you say you value. It sounds harsh to say that, but that's really what it is because it's a combination of what you allow and what you do. And so you allow this, this kind of lax supervision and poor accountability with your kids. It all stems from what you value. That's the point. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to begin looking at the things that we value as a church, not the, the, not the cute poster up on the wall, but what is it that actually drives us? What, what, what makes us tick as, as, an, as a church organization? You need to know this. Some of you uh, coming and saying, and still, jury's still out, it, you know, is Reliant Church going to be my home church? Well, we want you to know the ABCs of us and what we value and, 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 and all, and, and so you need to know that. But listen, personally... You need to know what you value. In fact, I would just have you write down at the, at the very outset of, of the message, what do I value? What do I value? And then, listen, just to, and, and by the way, when you're thinking about what it is you value, you can't value everything. It's been said, if you value everything, you value nothing. Because if you just say, oh, I, just, I, eva- I value 100 things. No, those, that, that you're, you're way, you, you have to be able to narrow it down, narrow your focus and say, look, these are my top values. This is what's going to drive the car of my life. And you have to really think long and hard and intentionally about it. So as you establish your values, as you pray through it, you, you should have, you know, five, uh, you know, ten at the max things that are, okay, these are my top values, and those should inform everything that you do. Everything should get filtered through those values, and you can take a walk with, you, with how you live your life. Just look at your schedule. That will be a big, huge clue as to whether or not you're living according to what you say you value, because what you truly value is going to make it into your daily operations. That's a painful lesson right there. Some of you just taking a walk with that will be heartbroken this week as you really begin to look and see that, man, I actually say I value something, but my actions prove something else. So at Reliance Church, our number one value, write it down, understand it, our number one value is the Word of God. We, we articulate that value this way. We say we trust God's Word as the only foundation for truth and our only hope for change. That's what we're going to look at today. Why is that true? Second Timothy, beginning in chapter 3. We pick it up in verse 14 where Paul is warning Timothy. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul here is talking to Timothy, and he's just been warning him, saying, look, you got to understand, young Pastor Timothy, that there's some folks that are going to come in, and they don't have the same values as you. They're going to try and lead you and your people astray, and this is why you, but you, not like them, but you, have to continue in the things which you've learned, and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them. He says in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped For every good work, continuing chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, he says, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul's giving Timothy this exhortation. Look, man, you got to watch out. You got to be on your head on a swivel, man. You got to be committed to the Word of God. That is, is what's got to guide your life. And he says there in chapter one, or in verse one of chapter four hey, I'm charging you before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm charging you to do this. He says, Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing? I recently had to get uh, some life insurance. I uh, had a personal policy that was expiring. And, uh, and as well, I had to get some life insurance for, for the church. We just, you know, we just took out a building loan. And before the people would give us money, they're like, well, we want you to, to get a life insurance policy and name us as the beneficiary, you know. And because uh, so, they want their money back, baby. So... Um, so, so I have to go down. By the way, just totally not in my notes. Let me just, let me just say a soapbox issue for me. If you're, if, you're, if you're a head of household here and you do not have a life insurance policy, get one today, okay? Um, you can get term life insurance. It's dirt cheap. Uh, it's an act of stewardship and love and care for your family. That's a whole message, but just, just hear me. Do not, do not. Ignore what I, that little piece of nugget I just gave you. All right, that's, that's, just a, that's just a little soapbox issue. Let me get back to the point here. So I, so I have to go. I got to get this life insurance policy. Two of them, as a matter of fact. Same company, and they're talking lots of money. So they're not just going to let you sign up for a policy. They want to make sure you're going to be around for a while. Their number one question, how much time do you got left? They want to know that because that determines, you know, the amount of coverage that they're going to give you and the rate that they're going to give you and so on. So they put you through a battery of tests and, you know, you got to give them blood and they got to take your EKG, all this stuff. But they're, one of their questions, they're, they're asking, hey, how much time do you have left? And so what they're doing is they're looking at the actuary tables. This is the, the, what they base on guessing how much time you've got left. And according to the actuary tables, they tell me I've got 29 years left. Which sounds bad, but it's actually better than the national average because the national average says I only got 24 years left. So I'm like, cool, an extra five years, right? Here's the thing. It's still sobering. And for me, it's sobering because this way, you know, if you go by the national average, I got more years in my rearview mirror than I've got out my windshield. You know, I got twice as many years that have gone by than than I've got ahead of me. And so you're just like, you know, wow. That puts things in perspective. And, you know, it might be more, it might be less, but nobody knows. And that's, that's kind of my point. It underscores what James was talking about in James chapter 4. He says, your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then you're gone, baby, right? The baby's my part, but that's the fact. And so the psalmist kind of said the same thing. He said, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80 But soon they disappear and we fly away. So teach us, he says, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, what the psalmist is saying, he's praying to God, he's saying, open our eyes to the bigger picture. To the fact that time is exceedingly short on this earth and that there's something beyond. 
And we desperately need wisdom to navigate this life, to prepare us for the life that is to come. And here in our text, Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy is this young pastor Paul has been grooming. Timothy has taken over pastoring a church in Ephesus. It's actually a church that Paul started And Timothy's got his hands full. And the reason he's got his hands full is because what's happening in in Ephesus is very much like what's happening in our churches and in our culture today. That there is a battle for truth. And there's a huge need to contend for the faith. And so here in these verses, Paul lays out three key points to Timothy that we're going to look at today that we need to take a walk with. That there is a future judgment coming. That fake news is a real thing. And that the focus on the truth is the difference between life and death. This is the three points Paul makes here. First one, future judgment is coming. He says there in verse 1, there's a day coming when everyone's going to be judged by God. He's telling telling Timothy, you better preach the word because you're going to stand before God one day. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Notice two things about this statement. Number one, the time of your death is appointed. There ain't nothing you can do to change that. Uh, Matthew, uh, in Matthew 6, verse 27, Jesus said the same thing. He said, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's the first thing to understand about that verse in Hebrews. Second thing, after you die, you're going to face judgment. Every last one of us. In other words, how you live your life today and the choices you make today, they have consequences. And the consequences aren't just for today, they're for all of eternity. And so Paul says to Timothy here, you have got to preach the word because, listen, Timothy, everyone's going to be judged. Now, as well, Paul exhorts Timothy to preach the word secondly because fake news is a real thing. Paul says there in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4, he says, For the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves teachers. They're going to look for people that will scratch them where they itch, tell them what they want to hear. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody come into the office. They're looking for counseling. And we will sit down and we will begin to counsel them. And what becomes rapidly apparent in, in these particular situations is that the person really isn't looking for the truth. They're looking to us to affirm them in their lifestyle, to affirm them in the choices that they're making. They're looking to us to be able to rubber stamp what they're doing, and, and then we as a person who's in a position of spiritual authority can, can then help them to feel good in their sin, and then they can go about feeling however they want Uh, to fill, and people will leave churches that don't teach according to what they want to hear, and they'll go and they'll shop around for a church that will tell them what it is they want to hear. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. This is what is the day that's coming. People are going to have itching ears. They're looking for people that are going to scratch them where they itch. They're going to heap up for themselves teachers, and verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll be turned aside to fables. That word fables In the Greek, it it means a fiction. It means a fabrication. It means a falsehood. And listen, therein lies the problem with the judgment that is coming. Because what's, what's happening is that there are many who are ignorant of the truth and they're they're being deceived. 
There's, Paul will say to Timothy a couple of verses prior, or a couple chapters prior to this, he says this, he says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone and able to teach. This is the emphasis that he's going to, the drum he's going to be beating here. The, tr- the teaching, the instruction, the, 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 the difference between truth and error. He says, uh, as, as, a, as a pastor, as a communicator of God's word, you've got to be kind you have to be able to teach. He says you have to be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct, there's, you know, instruct those who oppose the truth. There's truth, there's lie. He says perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses. They'll escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. In other words, there's plenty of people that have been misled, deceived, told lies, not the truth, and those lies now have them in bondage. Maybe you've seen the movie Men in Black. There's a scene in that movie. It describes our current world pretty well. Agent J, who's played by Will Smith, he's just discovered the the truth about the state of the world. In that movie and in the plot, the, the true state of the world was that Aliens are real, that they live amongst us, and, and you know, they're large and in charge. And, and so he's just astounded by this truth, and he, he basically asks Tommy Lee Jones' character, he's like, people are smart, why don't you just tell them the truth? Why do you have to keep this secret from everybody? Here's his response. He says, some people are smart, but humans, for the most part, don't have a clue, and they don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Now, that's, that's a fictitious story, but there's a lot of truth in that statement. People think they got a good beat on things. They're happy, just want to live their lives. Hey, you've got your truth, and I've got my truth, and, and that's fine. You just live according to your truth. You let me live according to my truth. That's fine, except for the fact that your truth, if it's not the truth of God's word, is going to lead you straight to hell. There is truth, and there is error. That's the bottom line. And you either live your life just pacifying yourself, just telling yourself, hey, this is good for me. Hey, this is great. This makes me feel good. If it makes you feel good, do it. Whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, everything's awesome. Until it kills you. And that's basically what Paul says to Timothy here. He says, listen, the time is going to come. And I would tell you 2,000 years later, it's here when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Listen, people hear what they want to hear. They seek out people who are going to tell them what they want to be told, and they want fake news. Why? Because they think they have a good beat on things. That's why. And Paul says what drives them, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, is their desires. That word desires, if you wanted to circle it nearby, you could write craving, you could write longing, you could write desire for the forbidden. That's what it is. And in the Greek, it's epithumia. It means that this craving and longing for something that's forbidden. And listen, certainly the world is driven by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. But keep in mind, who is Paul writing here to? He, he's, he's writing to Timothy, pastoring a church, and, he's, and basically... He's saying, you need to teach this to your church. In other words, it's not just the world that struggles with these temptations. It's all of us. 
which is, which is why Paul is exhorting Timothy here, preach the word. Preach the word. He says in verse 2 that you're going to need to preach the word to convince your people, to rebuke your people, to exhort your people. And he says you're going to have to do it with long-suffering and teaching. The idea is, hey, rather than give up on people, man, you, you keep patiently instructing them. Why? Because God's word's the only thing that can transform them. God's word is the only thing that can transform your life. Listen to God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I shared this a few weeks ago. If you were here, this will be a review for you. Here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 10. He says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Listen to this. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Here's what he's saying. He's, God, God is saying through this prophet, my word is like the rain and the snow that falls upon the earth. And as the rain and the snow falls upon the earth, what does it do? It, it feeds the, the plants and the bushes that are there. And they take in this rain, they take in this water, and, and what do they do? They grow from that. And he says, but the difference is that my word is going to go and it's going to nourish everything that's on the earth, and it's going to fundamentally change, change and transform everything that's on the earth. See, because you think about it in the natural, what happens to a thorn bush or briar bush that is watered, it just grows into a bigger thorn bush and a bigger briar bush, right? God says, it's not that way with my word. My word hits the thorn bush, hits the briar, metaphorically speaking, talking about the condition of our hearts. And he says, it doesn't cause you to grow and produce more thorns and the symbol of sin. No, what happens is it fundamentally changes who you are. And now you begin to produce a fruit of righteousness in your life. Something that's not natural to you, but that it comes through the teaching of God's word. Which is why Paul tells Timothy, back in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the Bible is supernaturally inspired. That's what he's saying there. It's the very Word of God. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it's not of human origin. For, he says, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a convenient claim. It's a convenient claim to say, hey, you know what? This book that was written by men is actually the very words of God because the Holy Spirit inspired those men what to write and they wrote the very words of God. And, and, and you go, if you're a skeptic, you go, well, gosh, I mean, what, what's to keep me from writing something down and saying, well, that's, that's God speaking and that's authoritative. Well, there's a lot of things that the Bible does to, peru- to prove itself that it is the very words of God. I've preached a lot of messages on that. We don't have time to get into that today, but I'll just touch on one. Fulfilled 
biblical prophecy is the greatest proof that I can think of. Well, Jesus rising from the dead is pretty convincing as well. But, but the, the biblical prophecy, words that were given hundreds of years in advance that actually came true, and it happens hundreds of times throughout the Scripture, proven that, that God says something and then it happens. Dead Sea Scrolls, they just found them. And they pull out these, these things and they guarantee and they, they're valid, validated that they were written thousands of years ago. And in them, prophesying events that would happen hundreds of years after they themselves were written. How do you explain that? God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he explained it this way. He said, I'm God and there's none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. I'm convinced. So is a guy by the name of J.I. Packer. He says there's only one conclusion. The Bible is God speaking. Listen, here's what we believe at this church and know to be true. The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to transform the child of God into the image of the Son of God. That's why we teach the Word. That's why everything that we do is informed by this book. And this is why Paul tells Timothy, listen, This is the ultimate authority, how you're supposed to live your life. He says the word of God, number one, is profitable for doctrine. In other words, it's profitable to tell us what's right. That's what doctrine does. It says this is right, this is wrong. He says, secondly, that it's profitable for reproof. In other words, what's wrong. So the Bible says this is right, and the Bible also says that, hey, we need to reprove by his word, say what you're doing is wrong. Not because I think it's wrong, not because I'm better than you, Because the Bible says that it's wrong. Paul tells Timothy that it's profitable for correction. How to get right. Look, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to start doing. This is how you need to start doing it. This is how you get right with God. And he says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Hey, how to stay right. Stay this course. Set set this course for your life, for the life of your family. And here at Reliance... We just don't know this to be true, or think this to be true, believe this to be true, hope this to be true. We know that it's true. We have seen, as we focus on teaching God's word, in an ocean of testimonies, what we have seen with the people in our church, people who've taken God at his word, they've been transformed. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen families strengthened. We've seen people with deep-seated hurts and wounds that are set free. Why? From, from, from my eloquent words... Hardly. From, from somebody's wisdom in, in and of themselves? Absolutely not. It's by the Word of God. The Word of God changed people's lives. My, my favorite story to tell is of a particular drug addict who we were praying for for, for, quite, for, for months and years. He's, he's, a friend of, he's, he's a family member of a friend of, of ours. We've been praying for him. Their Bible study, their, their small group here at the, at the church, praying for him. For, for, for months and months praying for this guy, that, that God would save him, that he would be delivered from his, from his lifelong drug addiction. And now God has answered every one of those prayers. And it's through the teaching of his word we, we saw that man not only get saved, give his life to Christ and be delivered from drugs, but now married, children, and the, and the home Bible study, the small growth group that was praying for his salvation, he now teaches that study. God's word changes lives. It can change your life. Maybe today you're here. Maybe your life is in turmoil. I will tell you God's word is true. And I would say, 
Come to him. Trust him. Take in his word. The, the psalmist said this, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Now, accordingly, here at the church, it's going to inform everything we do and does. And so you need to know, when we gather on Sundays, our Sunday gatherings, what are we going to do? We're going to go through the Word of God. We're going to go chapter by chapter. We're going to go verse by verse. We're going to study God's Word. Even now, in these next eight weeks, as we go through our values and we talk about every value that we have as a church, you're going to see that they're biblical, and we're going to teach those in an expositional way from a section of Scripture. It's not, you know, we don't just, you know, grab whatever verses like, oh, that'll fit and that'll fit. Oh, and that'll fit. No, no, no. We would say, what does God's word say about this subject? And, and it's kind of hard, you know, if you talk about one week, I want to talk about the value of God's word, which for, for over 10 years, this is what we do every single Sunday. We get together and we barely scratch the surface of the depths of God's word. And I'm going to take one Sunday to talk to you about God's word. It's like, wow, that's a lot. This is not an exhaustive teaching. <laughs> on the subject of God's word. But listen, this is what we're going to do. So Sunday gatherings, we're, we're, we're going through an expositional teaching of God's word. Expository means out of the text. We say, what, is, what did God write? What do we pull out? We're not, we're not imposing ourselves upon it. In our worship, again, it's informed by the word of God. Every song that we sing, we, we look at it and we say, what do these lyrics say? Is, are these lyrics, uh, are, they, are they biblical? There's a lot of worship songs, they sound great, but they're, they're really not biblical. Or the theology in them is weak at best. So we, we look and we say, what, what is the theology behind this song? Every single song is prayed over, is selected in that way. In our midweek small groups, home fellowships, men's studies, women's studies, so on, listen, they're focused on the Bible. They're going to be focused on the Word of God. Not, not, not going to be, you know, just seven, seven quick steps to a better you or whatever. No, we, we want them founded in God's Word. In, in biblical discipleship and counseling, if you come to the church, you say, look, I'm having trouble in my marriage or, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble personally in this area or that area or whatever. We're not going to lay you down on the couch and start talking about, you know, what do you, how do you feel about your mom, you know? We're not going to take a psychological approach and say, well, let's just look deep enough inside you till we can find the answer to all the problems, Psychology may teach that, but the Bible says if I look deep enough within you and deep enough within me, I'm going to find the source of all my problems. I'm not going to find the answer to all my problems. You're the problem. God's the answer. And so, so if you come here, if you say, hey, I need some help, I need some biblical discipleship, I need counsel. We don't call it counseling because we're not licensed counselors. We're biblical disciplers. You come, you tell me about the problem you're having in your marriage, great. The Bible's got tons to say about marriage. God created it. I'll just tell you my own personal testimony. First five years of my marriage, a little rough. Didn't think we were going to make it through. My wife was a piece of work. What can I tell you? So, (laughs) (laughs) don't tell her I said that. No, man, you know, and, and what happened? We gave our lives to Christ. Surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We watched God do incredible transforming work. I've been married 32 years. I think it's going to work out. Thank you, Jesus. It's going well. Listen, that's what we encourage you today. We want to see you get plugged in. We want to see you grow deep in your relationship with the Lord. Our expectation for you here as a church, we just want to see you know Jesus. Come, make a commitment. I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I'm going to sit in the teaching of his word. I'm going to get involved in one thing during the week just to grow in my relationship with the Lord. 
I'm going to discover and use my spiritual gifts because the Bible tells me I should. That's, that's our expectation for you. We want to put you on that trajectory. We want to see your kids get plugged into a midweek group, a WANA, junior high study, senior high study. We want to see you download our church app. Why? Because, man, we want to see you in the Word every day. There's a daily Bible study plan. It's simple there. You can listen to the messages there. You can go, you know, you, you just go to the app store, you can download it, you can put it on your iPhone, on your iPad, on your Android, on your Amazon, for the one guy here who's on the iWindows, you know, or the Windows, rather, you can, the Windows phone, whatever, I can't even remember what it's called, because only one of y'all has it. Does anybody have the Windows phone, seriously? Is anybody, one guy, two guys, yeah? <laughs> We've even got it on that. Listen, all this... Brings us to our third point. Here it is. The focus on the truth is the difference between life and death. This is a life and death issue. Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We've said it. We'll say it again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, the idea of being complete and thoroughly equipped, it's this. It's that you're perfectly equipped and prepared for life. Does any one of you think in and of yourself, or even today in, in, in where you're at, are you perfectly equipped and prepared for life? It's ahead of you. Man. Are you like the rest of us? We need help. Paul said this to the Romans. He said, don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. But listen, the alternative to that is death. That's the alternative. The alternative, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's, that, that's what we're up against here. It's, it's follow the truth, Follow what the Bible says to be true, or you follow the compass of your own heart, and it'll lead you off a cliff. Look, the day is coming when we're going to be judged. Every last one of us will be judged. And that judgment is not politically correct. I don't get to go there and say, I don't like your truth. I, uh, this is my truth. It's not like God's going to say, oh, that's your truth. Well, okay. No. We're judged by his truth. It's not something that we can rewrite. It's not something that we can reinterpret. There's only one truth and everything else is error. John Stott in his book, Between Two Worlds, he said, to give the Bible its rightful place is to bring health to the church, light to the world, and glory to God. I want to share with you in closing right now just a, uh, an inscription that my dad gave, made on the Bible that he gave to me on the day that my oldest child was born, my first child. And my dad gave me a Bible. And he wrote these, these words to me. He said, Ted, guide your family by Jesus. The words of Jesus Christ are absolute truth. They are the revelation of God. Anyone who tells you otherwise tells a lie. If you set your course by the gospel of Christ... You'll gain eternal life. 